The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Good evening, and welcome into episode 14 of the BF Writers Club. This is your host, Kevin Syracuse, coming at you live on the one and only Buffalo Fanatics Network. As we went from not having a lot to talk about tonight to having a good amount to talk about after we had a promotion, some extensions, and some rankings that we're going to have to get to. So with that, let me fake this music out here, and we are going to get rolling. You know, I was looking today... 11 Sundays until the NFL season kicks off. Can you guys believe that? 11 more Sundays until the 2023 season rolls around. And as much as I can't wait, I also can wait because summer is my favorite part of the year. I was working on a house down in Dunkirk today. I was right on the lake and the beaches were packed. People were out and about. There was food. There were drinks. There were bands, and I was just riding around, listening to my country music, some classic rock. You know, I got to mix that in there, too. And it's just summers in Western New York are undefeated. So with that, once again, this is episode 14 of the BF Writers Club. And let me set things up for what is in store tonight, because I'm going to open things up and talk about the two extensions that we had just a couple of days ago. There was also a promotion in there mixed in, and then that will transition into the rankings that we have because I came out with my defensive line rankings. So obviously by now we know that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were extended through the 2027 season. And I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes. I'm going to give my take on that. And then I want to hear from you guys before we bring Zach and Bryce on, because I realize that this could be a touchy subject because we talked about it a little bit in the past. And I know that we've had a lot of discussions and to be honest, when I saw the news that they got extended, I thought about you guys. I thought about this show because I was like, Hmm, this will make for some good content Sunday night, because I feel like we're going to have a lot of polarized opinions. So I want to give you guys time to share your thoughts with me. So hit me up with your questions, comments, concerns. We'll chat it up for a little bit. And then Zach and Bryce will come on. I think we have Evan Harrington in the background. So it looks like he will be coming on to join us tonight too. We'll get their thoughts about that. And like I said, that'll transition into the rankings because if you've been following along with that, my top 10 defensive ends and top 10 defensive tackles came out yesterday. I will drop the link for that once we get into it. And then earlier in the week, I did the interior offensive linemen, top 10 guards, top 10 centers. And then last week we talked about the top 10 tackles. So, all right. Good evening, everyone. I see we got the chat going up here. Chris, Mike, C. Rose, the Bills Mafia. I won't say the word. (laughs) Keith, Brian. What's up, everyone? So, all right. Let's start with the news of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott getting extended. Let me preface this by saying I really like Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, and I love everything that they have done for this team. But my initial reaction when I saw and heard the news was just, okay. Like, if I could describe this in one word, it's just, okay, cool. 
I guess those are two words. Okay, cool, fine. Any of those words that you want to use. Because this is what I want to get into tonight. Like I said, I, I just got done saying how much I really like those guys. But at the end of the day, we haven't won anything yet. So my big thing right now is I want to win a Super Bowl. So when I saw the news, I was just like, cool. They're still here. We really didn't think they're going anywhere. It's good that they're locked up in case, for whatever reason, they wanted to say, eh, Buffalo really isn't doing it for me. I'm going to pull LeBron James and take my talents elsewhere. So that diminishes that right there, that they won't be able to do that. But again, it's just looming in the back of my head, and I'm sure everyone else is too, that we want to win a Super Bowl. We want to get over the hump. So yeah, the extensions are cool. We like those guys. Some of us love them. Some of us are eh. But I think the main thing is show me that you can win the big game. Show us that you can get over that proverbial hump. So that's where I'm at with this. And I've talked about this on the show before where I didn't want to get into this rabbit hole. But because of this news, we're going to get into that rabbit hole tonight. So that's why I want to hear from you guys. Because I have said for weeks, maybe even months, that the Bills window to win the Super Bowl is in these next two years. And I can't remember, someone commented on this a couple of weeks ago when we got into this discussion. And I love the way he phrased it because he said the playoff window is always open with Josh Allen, but the Super Bowl window is only open every so often. And I was like, that is a great way of saying it because if you have Josh Allen, you're always going to be in contention, at least playoff contention. But with the roster that Bean and McDermott have built, this is a four-year program, essentially, where we're at the halfway mark right now. 2020, yeah, they had a solid team, but you could see in the AFC Championship game that they weren't ready yet. You reload, 21, a great season, great start to the playoffs, and really that divisional game against Kansas City was great. It's just the ending was devastating. But that team right there, mixed in with the team that we had last year in 2022, those were two really, really well put together rosters by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott because, you know, they're in this together. So we're at that halfway point right now where I'm thinking by 2024, by the end of that 24 season, we have to win a Super Bowl. Because when you look at it, you're going to have potentially Von Miller off this team, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, maybe Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs. If they don't win one in the next couple of years, after what we saw this offseason, I could definitely see him trying to force his way out of town. Josh Allen will be, what, 29 years old? So he'll still be in his prime, but he won't be as mobile as he is right now. You're not going to get that cowboy ball Josh Allen anymore at that age. The defensive line, I don't want to say it will be in shambles, but right now Ed Oliver is the only defensive tackle signed past this year. You have all, all of these guys on one-year deals. Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford. If you want to go to the defensive backfield, Cameron Dantzler. So the, like, the way they built it has been one- to two-year contracts. Going back to Daquan Jones and Tim Settle last year, two-year deals. Now they have one year left. And then you have guys like Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, Trey White. Those guys will either be up for new contracts or getting close, not to mention their ages will be getting up there as well. So this team right here, for the next two years is crucial. This is the best opportunity in my lifetime for this team to win a Super Bowl. And if they can't get it done, then I really don't know when they will be able to win a Super Bowl. And again, the window is always open with Josh Allen as your quarterback. 
But for all the reasons that I just laid out, it's two years right now. The window is wide open and they have to take advantage of that. So when I saw the news of the extension, I was like, okay, cool. But what are we going to do in two years? Because what are we going to do? How are we going to sound on this show and other shows in a couple of years, even next year, if the Bills have two more losses in the divisional round? And that was one of my first thoughts when I saw the extension was why did they feel the need to do it now? Why not wait another year or two? Because I don't know the contract details. They don't put them on spot track like they do for players. But Mike Shope said on WGR that these guys were under contract through 2025. So I, if it were me, I, I, I wouldn't feel the need to rush to extend these guys. I don't think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are the guys to want to leave and jump ship. I understand why the Pagoulas wanted to do it. But at the same time, I was thinking, why did they do that right now? Why not give it another year or two? And I think to me, that shows that the Pagoulas are committed to them long term. But at the same time, let's not forget their other team on the other side of town, the Sabres, and all of their coaching disasters that they've been through. So it, it's not like McDermott and Bean are here no matter what until 2027. Because going off my point with the Sabres, they've had to fire and hire and fire again multiple coaches. It's just been a continuous cycle. So if worse comes to worse, you could get out from under this contract. If you want to talk about NBA contracts, look at Bradley Beal signed that max deal with the Wizards last year, and now they just traded him to Phoenix. So it's not like these guys are going to be here no matter what set in stone. There are a lot of things that could happen, but the way it looks, they're here for the next four years. And the way I see it, the way I'm breaking down this window, it's two years. And then let's just say that the Bills are not able to get over the hump at that two-year mark. Are we confident that Bean and McDermott are the right ones to steer the ship and kind of rebuild and retool your team. And I, I think a lot of us are more confident in Brandon Bean than McDermott. Right now at this point, I think the confidence is still very high. Again, I am nowhere near wanting to fire these guys. But if they have two more duds in the playoffs, you're probably going to look at that and say, I don't know if Sean McDermott is the right guy for the job anymore. Maybe we should go get an offensive-minded head coach while we still have Josh Allen and – that is going to take us over the hump. We trust that Bean can build this roster, but maybe we need more of an offensive-minded head coach. So that's the way that I see it. And before I get to you guys here, I want to mention the Eric Washington promotion because that was also one of those where I was like, okay, didn't see that one coming, but okay. Now, if you remember, Eric Washington was a defensive line coach and a senior defensive assistant last year. So Leslie Frazier left or whatever happened there. Sean McDermott took over as defensive coordinator, and now the assistant head coach position was open. So Eric Washington jumped into that role. And now let's not forget a very important name here, Al Holcomb. He was hired back in February to be a senior defensive assistant. So he took Eric Washington's old position, and Washington took that promotion. And then obviously with McDermott taking – the other role of calling plays. So that was a bit of a shocker to me. And I think that's where I will end it right there because I want to hear from you guys before we bring Zach and Bryce on. While I go through these comments, make sure you smash that like and subscribe button. Give me a follow at Kevin underscore Syracuse and give the other guys a follow once they come on. 
Um, but yeah, let's go through these comments here. You got Don Troutman on here. What's up, Don? Doing pretty well. Loving summer, loving the weather here. Okay. Extension is great. Don says, okay. So we have one on that side of things saying that the extension is great. Best this organization has been in over 15 years. And I think that's the point right there that a lot of us are going to come back to even myself here, because if you look at the Rex Ryan years, and then even in 2017 with Tyrod, that was a complete flip of the switch right there where I'm turning 24 on Wednesday. So I don't have as much knowledge as probably some of the people in here, but that has to be up there in terms of one of the top flips in franchise history. When you went from that all time low to an all time high, and maybe that's being a little generous saying that it was an all time low because Rex Ryan's teams were still competitive, but I mean, he ruined that defense, Jim Schwartz. I love Jim Schwartz as a coordinator. And then Rex Ryan ruined it. And again, McDermott hasn't won the Super Bowl, so I can't say it's an all-time high. But just the way that they switched things around to go from Rex Ryan to Sean McDermott, that was huge right there. So I agree. I mean, this is the best the organization has been pretty much in my lifetime. Like I said, I'm turned 24 on Wednesday. Um, I was born in 1999, and that's when the drought started. So that right there is enough to say these guys deserve the extensions because Remember what we used to go through. Remember the carousel at quarterback. And remember looking forward to the postgame show so we can rant and complain. And having Brian Mormon and Ryan Lundell, the special teams players, were the team MVPs back then. And we used to market our running backs. C.J. Spiller and Fred Jackson were the face of the franchise because we didn't have a quarterback who could do that. So the way they flipped this thing around, bravo to them. But at the same time, the job's not done yet. And we're not going to stop until it is. And even if they do win a Super Bowl, we're still not going to stop. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at with this. Where I'm trying to look at both sides here. Uh, Don says, I agree. The next three years are huge. Um, I can't remember what part this was, but well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so here we go with Eric Washington now. Mike says, Eric Washington hasn't done much to develop our young defensive line. So he gets a promotion. And that was the first thought that I had when I saw the news, because you look at some of these guys, Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa right off the bat to start. It's a boomer bust year for them. Epinesa is going into the final year of his contract. Basham still has another year, but still we need to see them take that next step. Even Greg Rousseau for as good as he's been PFF had him ranked as their 14th best pass rusher last year which we'll be getting into with my rankings coming up on the show later tonight but he hasn't taken that step either especially when von miller went down last year we were waiting for him to really pop off and i believe he finished with the same amount of sacks that von did with eight give or take it might have been a couple around there but he didn't really do much someone like an ed oliver drafted number nine overall and now he gets rewarded with that big contract but that was a conversation that we had just a couple of weeks ago. Is he really worth that money? Did we want to re-sign Ed Oliver? Well, yeah, right there. First of all, did we want to re-sign Ed Oliver? And then second of all, part B, did we want to re-sign him for that kind of money where he is the 11th highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL? So that comes back to Eric Washington too, where you say, man, this guy was drafted number nine overall, and we really haven't seen the production. 
he comes in streaks. He shows flashes where he looks great, but then he goes invisible for a couple of plays, a couple of games, a couple of weeks. So, I mean, that's tough. And then even someone like a Tim Settle, you bring him in on that two-year deal from Washington last year, and you're waiting for him to pop off because he was behind that talented defensive line with Washington. And you say, okay, the analytics show that this guy is ready. If you give him the time, he is going to produce. And he didn't produce last year. So again, Eric Washington, it's not just the young guys in our draft picks that he has, I don't want to say failed to develop, but lacked with developing. It's some of these veterans too. Daquan Jones, that was a nice pickup. He was one of our best D linemen last year. But yeah, this is huge for Eric Washington. This is one of the best defensive lines now. I don't want to forget about, you know, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips too, where sometimes those guys go invisible and you're waiting for them to take that next step. So now you have Puna Ford, you bring in Leonard Floyd, you have all those other guys that I just mentioned. And then some of the guys on the bottom half of the roster, Eli Anku, Brandon Bryant, Mike Love. I know those guys go up and down between the practice squad, the roster, they get waived, they get picked up. So I'm not even sure if all those guys are currently on the team. But yeah, you're just waiting for those guys to really pop off. And it comes back to Eric Washington. And like Mike says, he hasn't done much to develop them. So he's the one that gets a promotion. I was thinking maybe Al Holcomb would have been the new assistant to Sean McDermott, and they don't want to give too much to Eric Washington, but they say, okay, just work on the defensive line. We're bringing in Al Holcomb to help McDermott run the defense. But now you have Eric Washington for that role. So a couple of head scratchers right there. Um, let me keep going through these comments here. It's about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time here. Uh, let's see. Chris says, go bills. I disagree with Colin Coward on my beanie is what they've built is amazing. If we can't get to the promise on the next three years then fine, move on at that point. Okay. So Chris says three years and I think someone else had three years too. I'm saying two for that window that I laid out there. I mean, you, you really could go on three years because that's what the 23 season, 24 and 25. So that would be a little bit more than halfway through this extension because they are extended for the next five seasons, 23, 24, 25, 26, and then 27. So I say two, you could say three, but I think really after 25, then that's going to reach that point where it's like, okay, Josh Allen's 30, Von Miller's retired, Jordan Poirier's retired, Micah Hyde is retired. We have to retool the wide receiver room, the defensive line. We got to rebuild that. So two to three years is this window. And again, I, I don't want to fire Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean for that matter. But if they lay another egg in the playoffs this year, those conversations are going to ramp up. And even after next year, let's say they lose a wild card round. They can't even get out of the first round. I still don't think I want to fire McDermott unless it's just so abysmal or, you know, they only win seven games and can't even make the playoffs next year. I'm just not there yet where I want to think about firing Sean McDermott, the, the guy who led us to this prime spot. But if they do that a second year in a row and then a third year in a row, and really if you mix it in with the previous two or three seasons, we're going on five, six years here where you might say, okay, it's time for a change. We got we got to get an offensive mind and head coach in here. And it was interesting when we were talking about the top coaches a couple of weeks ago, people were saying, some people, not everyone, but, some people are trying to make the case that Brian Dable 
is a better coach than Sean McDermott. And, and maybe that wasn't on this show. Maybe that was a conversation that I had had elsewhere, but at least that's in some people's minds where people are saying, actually, no, it was a show because I've heard people say on here before, you should have just fired McDermott when you had the chance after 13 seconds and then you elevate Brian Dable and then all your problems are solved. Again, I, I'm not there yet uh, because Brian Dable wasn't a perfect coach either. So let's keep going through these comments. Al says, where is Jim Schwartz now? That's a good question. He's not back in Cleveland, is he? I feel like someone brought him back as a defensive coordinator. I, I will have to double check on that and get back to you guys on that. So when we get Zach and Bryce and Evan Harrington is in the background now, I see him in there. So we'll get these guys on in a few minutes and then I can uh, look up some Jim Schwartz information here. Don says, this is an enormous year for Rousseau. I agree. Is it a bigger year for AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham or Greg Rousseau? That could be an interesting conversation too, because I think it's huge for both. But you talk about the draft status, that first round pick, Rousseau is supposed to be that other linchpin on the line outside opposite of uh, Von Miller. And then now you have Leonard Floyd too. So I could see it both ways, but either way, I mean, this is an enormous year for Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, and A.J. Epinesa. Ken says, I just pray that we stay healthy so we can kick that door down and bring home that Lombardi trophy. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, too, because the Bills have been very, very healthy, except for last year. Before that, it was kind of crazy how they were avoiding the injury bug. But last year, they just could not get out of the way. And that was a big reason why they fell off at the end of the year. And then obviously the DeMar Hamlin thing. But at, at the end of the day, I think coaching and play calling specifically between Leslie Frazier and Ken Dorsey really held us back where you take away the DeMar Hamlin incident and you put a healthy roster out there. I still don't know if the Bills would have been able to win just because we flat out got out coached so badly against Zach Taylor and the Bengals. And really, <laughs> we barely squeaked by a third-string quarterback with Miami and Skylar Thompson. And that was when I was like, okay, I don't want to get too nervous yet because I, I really thought the, the Bills were saving it. I thought they were saving plays and packages and just their best football for when it mattered against Cincinnati and Kansas City. But apparently I was wrong because they just kept getting worse and worse. Don says that he was shocked with the Oliver contract. I kind of was too. I was driving to the Bandits game that night, so I really didn't have time to let it sink in. I was like, okay, four years, 68. What's that, like 14, 15? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, that's 17. It's more than I thought. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was a big number right there. <laughs> I don't think Mike was a fan of the contract. Uh, John Roberts says Rousseau was double teamed after Vaughn went down. John, I saw you on Facebook yesterday. I saw that you shared my article, so I appreciate that. Keep them coming with that as I will keep the articles coming. I think I might be a little bit be, be, uh, behind here on the comments. I appreciate you guys for, for um, you know, firing away with these comments, like I said here. So I'm going to try to go a little bit quicker here. Um. Trey Williams says the Pagulas want stability to parlay into their new stadium. It's a lot different motive than rabid fans that would trade one ring for anything. You know, that's a very good point because the new stadium is set to open in 2026. 
Now, Bean and McDermott are there for the first two seasons. And I think for everything that they've done to build this team and this organization, I think the Pagulas want to say, we want you to be there for when the stadium is officially built. You've gotten us there, but we're going to keep you here to help finish it. So that, that's a very good point, Trey. I was going to mention that, and it slipped my mind. Now, that shouldn't get in the way of trying to win a Super Bowl because if you get too buddy-buddy with these guys and say, oh, thank you, here's a pat on the back, here's a new contract extension, thank you for everything you've done, then it could snowball into, well, we don't want to fire you yet because we're best friends and you know, yada, yada, the relationships that we built. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, 2027 2028 and it's like oh we still haven't gotten back to the afc championship game so it's a very fine line that you have to balance here and i think we can all agree at least most of us the window is over the next few years where it's wide open and then we'll take it from there um okay Don says people forget Rousseau missed one whole year of football because of COVID. That's a good point. You know, for as much as maybe some of us, you could say me for how I just opened the show, uh, you know, as much as we've gotten on Rousseau and even Spencer Brown, for that matter, these guys were drafted during the COVID years. And like Don says, they missed a year because of COVID or, or at least Rousseau did because um, he opted out that season. Spencer Brown with his injuries. So, I mean, these guys develop in different ways and at different time lengths. So that's that's definitely a good point that, that needs to be discussed. Um, Don says, Bills were not the same team second half of the year at all. I agree. Ken says, he agrees with me 100% on the play calling of Dorsey and Frazier. Yep, I think that was one of the uh, biggest stipulations that held us back. I was just talking to someone last night and he was saying that he had season tickets and the way that he worked his tickets where he sold a couple of games that he couldn't go to and made up for the price that he had to pay. And I was like, well, I was one who spent $200 to go watch that. So, because I think uh, that was one of the games that he didn't go to, or he sold his tickets. And I was like, I guess I should have done the same thing, but that's $200 that I won't get back. But you know what? I would do it again because the money just flies off the tree when it's bill season. You know how it is. We're all the same, right? Okay. Um, John says, I read at least 3,000 less season ticket holders for the new stadium. Yeah, that's something that we're going to have to uh, find out more about. I've been seeing some rumblings about that where the new stadium is going to be a little bit smaller. So I don't know about season tickets. I'm not a season ticket holder. I just buy the cheapest ticket that I can find. Saturday night, Sunday morning, get a group of friends together and throw it together last minute. <laughs> um, Mike says, Zach Taylor is not a genius. How smart do you have to be when it's third and three and the Bills DBs are 10 yards off the receivers? You're right. I, I will give you that for sure. But at the same time, they were very smart with how they attacked the Bills right from the get-go where they recognized that and said, Joe Burrow, you do not have to go deep to Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, any of these guys. We are going to dink and dunk our way right on the Bills. And to Mike's point, you could say that's more of Frazier being dumb than Zach Taylor being smart. But at the end of the day, this is something that the Bills were not smart enough to do themselves. So we have to give Zach Taylor some credit here for recognizing that and not getting tempted 
to try to take the top off the defense like Allen and Dorsey were with 40-yard bombs to Gabe Davis. They just said, okay, we're going to take what the defense is giving us, and we're going to work our way down the field. We're going to matriculate our way down the field, and that's how we're going to win, and that's how they did win. Lauren says, can't forget, too, with that Bengals game, the way the O-line was performing, that affects the plays that are going to get called. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. But, you know, here's a point that I was coming back to a lot, where if your offensive line can't hold up for Josh Allen, why do you want to have these long developing plays where it's just not going to work out? Because if Spencer Brown can't hold a block or Roger Saffold is just a turnstile, why are you trying to drop 40 yard bombs to Gabe Davis when you're probably going to have the defenders coming right in your face? So why can't you just get the ball out quickly and utilize Khalil Shakir and Naheem Hines and James Cook? And then that way that covers up some of the blemishes on the offensive line. So again, this just comes down to like, coaching and scheming and just being smart about it where the bills were just flat out not smart between that Bengals game the Dolphins game and I believe it was John who said it the whole second half of the year it was just idiotic how they went about their games and I and I think going back to last week's show when I talked about Stefan Diggs I think that that's where his frustration stems from because as much as Stefan Diggs wants to get the ball I think he is also looking at it from a overall team perspective saying this is not a well-oiled machine. We fell off track and because of it, I did not get the ball. And because I did not get the ball, we did not win. And that's a main point right there. We did not win. And he even said on the Dan Patrick show, we got lucky. I know we kept winning and the numbers are pretty, but we really weren't as sharp as we should have been. That's my best assumption of what Diggs is, is going through right now. And I think he's going through some other things as well. But that's my best guess as to what Stefan Diggs was talking about. Because I, I think it's just so obvious when you have someone like Patrick Peterson go on a podcast after that Vikings game and said, he goes, yeah, I, I knew where Josh Allen was going to throw the ball because Gabe Davis only runs the exact same three routes. So it's like, oh my God, they're picking up on it and you're still trying to force it 25, 30 yards down deep. And this is a point that I did not make last week. I, I keep forgetting to make this point, but why can we not see any play action? Imagine Josh Allen with play action, just the, one of the most lethal quarterbacks between his arm and his legs, and you don't want to roll him out ever? Everything's just the same formation and shotgun? Oh, my God, it's mind-boggling. Okay. Let me keep going through these comments here. Uh, all three of these guys are waiting down in the background. Once again, this is Kevin Syracuse with you on the BF Writers Club, episode number 14. Tonight, as it is June 25th, Derek Jeter's birthday tomorrow. Happy early birthday to him. Any Yankees fans in here? I'm a Yankees fan, as you can tell. Uh, let's see. Donnie says, thank God Frazier's gone. I couldn't take much more of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Leslie Frazier, and I like the regular season Leslie Frazier. But playoff Leslie Frazier, I agree. I, I couldn't take much more of it when it's third and three and they're just giving them all the cushion in the world. You know, it's just like, oh, you want to get the first down? Go ahead. As long as we're not going to give up a touchdown. Ben, but don't break. Take all the first downs that you want. But when you get down to the goal line, then we're going to get aggressive. Why couldn't the Bills be as uh, aggressive on defense as they were on offense? It was just flipped the whole year. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> Boo Yankston says. Joey says, oh, I pulled up Trey's. Hang on, Trey. Let me get to Joey's here. We playing crappy weather. You cannot expect us to do the same thing in a dome that we do at the Bills Stadium because of the weather. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely affect it too. Where, again, if you're looking at it from the weather perspective, the snow was flying last year, and to want to just stretch the field vertically is another reason why I was just like, use the horizontal part of the field. You don't always have to go vertical. And I, you know, I think like a lot of us could probably say this team probably would prefer to play in a dome, but I think with the new stadium, I saw 60 to 65% of the seats are going to be covered. They have that big overhanging roof, kind of like at hard rock stadium in Miami. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, I believe it's going to be all natural surface. I heard that there could be some heaters underground, could be climate controlled up top. So I'm looking forward to the new stadium. But, you know, that's what, three years away after this window is going to close that we've been talking about all night. So, all right, all the guys that are in the background right now, you've probably heard enough from me. <laughs> are you guys ready? Give me a thumbs up. Okay, it looks like they are ready. Let me just uh, pull off this banner here. And now we have Zach Vaughn, Bryce Martino, and making his Writers Club debut, Evan Harrington. Evan, I haven't talked to you probably since our last pregame show last year. Yeah, that seems about right uh, since the last time I was on a pregame show with you a little bit ago. But, yeah, it's good to be back. So how you doing? You are yeah. going into your – Wait, did you graduate? No, you didn't graduate yet, right? No, I'm going into my junior year of college. Just finished my sophomore year just uh, about last month. So you got me on that? Yeah, speaking of graduating, I'm uh, actually at my cousin's graduation right now. I just graduated high school. So, so you know, come down, pop in for a little bit and talk some Bills football. What's up? I'm glad you could join. Are, are we losing connection? We, you guys, can you hear Evan? Can you hear me? Are we good? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, everything's good on my end. So, all right. So, Evan, real quick. Okay. Yeah, it might be a little bit laggy, but we'll be good. Um, so, yeah, Evan, if I don't know your, uh, you know, exactly what's going on in Evan Harrington's life right now, I'm sure our audience doesn't know. So, just fill us in a little bit about what you have going on at Buff State and what you have going on for the summer and, and you know, what you've been up to lately in terms of Buffalo Fanatics, Buffalo Bills, anything. Um, yeah, so I guess at Buff State-wise, where I attend college, uh, still doing my stuff with the Buff State hockey team. Uh, recently just got into doing Buff State uh, women's softball. Same thing, same thing for hockey, but just doing it as a spring sport. Um, anything new with my summer, I recently just uh, had the chance to interview um, NHL draft prospect Quentin Musty. Uh, he's projected to go in the top 20, top 25, so I had the chance to do that. And uh, stuff with Buffalo Fanatics, uh, as the summer's rolling along, I'm still looking to you know appear on as many shows as possible, uh, do any outside work or whatever's going on with that, and you know potentially you know, get back and write some articles as uh, Bill's season's coming along so, with that. So I plan on probably you know sticking my nose in the article um, range a little bit with that, maybe a few times wrong this summer, and uh, yeah, that's about it so far. 
All right, so you said you got to interview some uh, NHL draft prospects? Yeah, I got the chance to interview uh, Quentin Musty. Uh, he's from Buffalo, grew up in Hamburg, um, and he was the first overall pick in the OHL draft. And anyone who doesn't know what the OHL is, that is the Ontario Hockey League, and that's where um, guys who are planning on going to play pro in the NHL go. And um, he was the first overall pick in that in the 2021 OHL draft, uh, played two seasons with the Sudbury Wolves, and he is going – enter himself in the NHL draft this season and the NHL draft is in two days I'm pretty sure and he's got a legit shot to be a, a first round pick and a big time player to whatever team he has drafted and yeah I did have the chance to interview him um, it was a good interview awesome guy and you know I mean we all know some, some local guys from Buffalo that have you know panned out to be some pretty good NHL players Patrick Kane no big deal I mean he's pretty good maybe a Hall of Famer I don't know but um Quinn Musty kind of looks to follow in his footsteps, being a Buffalo boy, going to play in the big leagues. Nice, nice. I see we see uh, got a Sabres fan in here. Mike Landry says, I live in Hamburg. So I know, uh, you know, Hamburg's usually a good good town for sports. Are there There's some hockey guys in Hamburg, that area? Yeah, um, I mean, the Hamburg. You might have just said that this guy is from there, right? Yeah, I know. I saw the comment there. I mean, um, sorry, yeah, you're cutting out a little bit on my end. Yeah, they got the the Hamburg Hawks, which is their local travel team there. And uh, I've I've played with a lot of guys growing up playing hockey from Hamburg. You know, it's I mean, definitely produces some solid hockey talent. All right. Well, with that, how are you guys feeling about all these extensions and promotions? You got to hear me share my thoughts for about a half hour on it. You got to see some of the comments from the chat. Um, real quick, <laughs> Stefan Diggs is not gone. So we're going to shut that down right now. And for all the trade rumors, $50 million in dead cap over the next two years, it ain't happening. Okay, I just had to throw that in there real quick. But in terms of Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and Eric Washington, how are you guys feeling about this? Zach, we'll start with you and just go right around the horn. Obviously, again, like you had mentioned earlier, not that we were really expecting them to go anywhere anytime soon. But, you know, seeing they got another extension, it's like, cool. Just keep on keeping on. And I will say, though, I have, a, I do have some concerns with Eric Washington getting promoted. Like, I questioned that. My question was, like, why? What exactly has he done to earn a promotion? in his time in Buffalo. But at the same time, maybe it's more so just because McDermott values his voice and he's more just like an advisor. Maybe it's like an advisory capacity and it really doesn't mean much more than that. But being a McDermott, that was a good move. It's always a good move to keep good coaches and good front office people around. So you probably liked the Bean and McDermott extensions a little bit more than the Eric Washington promotion then, right? That was the Eric Washington promotion is probably a little bit more shocking. Yeah, exactly. Say it again. I said the Bean and McDermott extensions infinitely like that more than the Eric Washington promotion. Because I didn't really like the Washington promotion. Yeah. <laughs> 
feel like maybe Bobby Price, how do you how do you feel about all this? I mean, I I love the Bean and McDermott extension. Obviously, I mean, who doesn't? I I more so am concerned about you know Eric Washington being promoted like Zach is because you know it doesn't mean much more so far than you know, an advisory, someone who's been in league for a long time. You know, it's not someone who's shown that they can get a ton of production and talent out of, you know, his defensive line. So, I mean, if if McDermott needs someone like that, because after Frazier left, he didn't really have someone by his side who's been in league for decades. So... I mean, I'm sure that's probably all it is. Hold on, I see a comment from so, Jackson there. Pop up that says McDermott called the defense during 13 seconds. No, he didn't. We don't. We don't know who called the defense during that. It was said know. last week or two weeks ago that you know McDermott didn't call that 13 seconds. Last time it was known that McDermott called the defense was against the Chargers years ago. Exactly. Can't just pin it on McDermott just because he's the one still here. Well, either way, there was some miscommunication between McDermott, Frazier, um, who was a special teams coordinator at the time. Heath Farwell, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Definitely miscommunication. Special teams coordinator. Um, and then Tyler Bass, too. So I, I don't want to get into that because we don't know exactly who called it. I thought it was Leslie Frazier. I, I saw there was a clip going around where it looks like Frazier was kind of mouthing the defense where he was calling the plays. But, again, we don't know. Um, what were we saying before that, though? Oh, I was going to ask you guys about Al Holcomb. So we talk about experience and trying to get like the assistant head coach and having someone to be there to help McDermott out because he needs that assistant now even more so because he needs the assistant for the head coach and the assistant for the, the play calling duties. So that's a lot of pressure on Eric Washington. Do we think that maybe Al Holcomb, even though that they just brought him over, do we think that maybe Al Holcomb was more qualified and, and maybe they should just look at that and say, all right, you know, Eric Washington, just focus on the defensive line. We're going to have Al Holcomb do this. Evan, what, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, when you talk about Eric Washington, right, and the promotion he got to assist Sean McDermott, and you talk about should Washington pay a little more attention to the defensive line and, you know, let Hol- Holcomb uh, come in and just take that spot – when I hear, you know, stuff like that, I always go, you know, Eric Washington is going to be able to manage both because who's in his defensive line room? Vaughn Miller, he's a veteran. He's in that room coaching these young guys up, whether that's, you know, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa. Um, we bring in over Leonard Floyd. He's been a veteran in this league. Shaq Lawson, his name doesn't get mentioned enough. Shaq Lawson's been in the NFL since 2016. You know, he's he's played big games at Clemson. He's going into his eighth year in the NFL. So we have some veteran leadership in that room and it just doesn't go to the coaching staff for leadership and, and, you know, 
for for other players to follow. It always it's always also what's in the room, and we have that in the room. So maybe that will take a little weight off of uh, Eric Washington's shoulders, and he can focus a little more. Uh, you know, assisting Sean McDermott while also, you know, coaching up the defensive line and, you know, having those backbones of Von Miller and Leonard Floyd, Jack Lawson, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there are some player coaches, kind of like you said, you know, like Von Miller is essentially a coach and he wants to be a GM. So you have Von Miller to pick his brain and now Leonard Floyd and some of these guys with experience coming over. Um, I mean, but look at, look yeah, at it's just a little bit perplexing like, when Eric Washington. Yeah. Lorenzo Alexander a few years ago, right? Go ahead. What, what was uh, that? I said Lorenzo Alexander a few years ago when he was still in the bills, when we had Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, Yeah, you know, for, for that year or two that they played under Lorenzo Alexander. When you listen to Edmonds and Milano's press conferences and they talked about Alexander, you only heard positive things about his leadership and the role that he played in that room for their growth. And that's the sort of same things you hear from Rousseau and Basham and Epinesa when talking about Von Miller. And now you're adding that with Leonard Floyd and you got Super Bowl experience in there. So when leadership and and progressional growth um, from a leader standpoint, it doesn't always have to be the coaches, right? There's always internal uh, leadership and that's in the room with the guys you're, you know, going to battle with on the field every Sunday. Evan, I'm going to stick with you on this one. What were your thoughts on Leslie Frazier and how the season ended and then how he was not fired? They said he's stepping away, but then he said that he's interested in becoming the coordinator again, and that whole situation was weird. So how do you put your finger on what happened with Leslie Frazier and the Bills' defense? Yeah, so just to kind of give my quick uh, you know, premise on this, um, I, I think Leslie Frazier is a very good defensive coordinator. I'm not going to shell anything on him as a defensive coordinator, maybe except a couple playoff games that you can argue were, you know, were his fault or weren't his fault. Um, and the whole Leslie Frazier uh, stepping away departure from the Buffalo Bills, I think it was something that maybe was destined to happen from this standpoint because Leslie Frazier's been here from the start. He's been here with Sean McDermott from the start. He's been – Sean McDermott's right-hand man since 17, and they've went to war together. They they, they have been through the thick and thin uh, with each other, whether that's, you know, the first playoff uh, game that Sean McDermott coaches the head coach in 2017 against the Jacksonville Jaguars or, you know, the, the 13 seconds game or the game against the Cincinnati Bengals in the divisional round this past season. They've seen a lot. They've been together for a long time, and I think – Leslie Frazier just needed to take a step back and figure things out for himself because it's probably a mentally, you know, tolling and, and stressful on as a, as a, as a, you know, a defense coordinator like that. Um, and, you know, him stepping away, I, I think this could be a, almost a fresh of breath, breath air, a fresh of breath air for the Buffalo Bills. Um, just because I, I feel like it's almost good to have a fresh set of eyes, a fresh mindset in the defensive side of the room. So I think this could be a, a beneficial factor, not only for the Buffalo Bills, but for Leslie Frazier as well, just because I, I feel like both parties needed a, a fresh start. I think the Bills' defense needed a fresh start from you know, the playoff-wise, regular season, obviously their top three in almost every statistic. And I think Leslie Frazier just needed to change her scenery. I, I mean, you can compare it 
well, not really, but I kind of look at it as the Sabres with, with Eichel. You know, Eichel's time was up. Sabres' time was up with them. So it's time to move off. And, you know, both guys needed to change the scenery. Um, maybe kind of the same thing with uh, Leslie Frazier. Yeah, and I'm going to put this banner up because it's one of my favorite banners to use. That right there, 107 points and 1,403 yards. That cannot happen. Over the Bills' last three playoff losses, that's what Leslie Frazier's defenses have, have given up. Over 465 yards per game and almost 36 points per game. That can't, that, that, that can't happen. So, Zach and Bryce, I'm going to flip this back to you. Looking at the general scope of things now, are we more confident with Sean McDermott, Eric Washington, and Al Holcomb as opposed to Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, and Eric Washington? So just looking at it from those three coaches, I know there are other defensive coaches, but those are probably the main three coaches. Are we more confident with this new set of three as opposed to the old set of three? I think it's hard to really say until we see what happens on the field. I would have to say yes, because just going off what Sean McDermott's track record was in Carolina, you know, him calling a super aggressive defense, having one of the best defenses in the league back then, I think, you know, without seeing a player on the field, that should tell you enough about what, McDermott's defense is going to be like this year in 2023. <clears throat> Say that last part again, uh, Bryce. Are, are you more confident with McDermott and Holcomb and Washington as opposed to last year? I am, yeah. Just because of what McDermott's track record was in Carolina calling defense. Okay. I think I am too. I think, uh, you know, the Eric Washington point probably sticks out for a few people or for a good amount of people. But I think overall, when you look at it from that perspective, you say, okay, I think the defense is in better hands now because I think they're going to be more aggressive with Sean McDermott calling the plays. And then hopefully that aggressiveness will trickle down to Eric Washington and maybe McDermott will make him better. Because, you know, McDermott said this with Leslie Frazier. He's like, sometimes you just have to do it yourself where Frazier wasn't a bad coordinator, but I feel like we can't really think on the same wavelength. Like we can, but it will never be the exact same thoughts because it's just impossible. Like you, you can have the chemistry down with someone, but at the end of the day, Leslie Frazier will not have the same, the exact same thoughts as Sean McDermott. So he, he's looking at that saying, okay, I'm going to take this over and do it my way. And maybe because of that, he can make, Eric Washington better, Al Holcomb will become better, and it'll be more of a well-oiled, aggressive machine. And you know what? I actually just had a, a quick thought here. When you brought up the 107 points and 1,403 yards over the Bills' last three losses in playoff games, it's almost like a batter going up to bat, right? The first strike is the Kansas City game. 
in the Bills' first year of explosion where they just bursted out of the scene. Everyone was like, wow, the Buffalo Bills are here. They've arrived. Josh Allen's here. The Bills are going to be you know, perennial Super Bowl contenders for the next some odd of years, right? That's the first strike, right? But everyone's like, okay, like strike one, you're fine. You still got you know, two more strikes to go if you don't get it. Strike two is 13 seconds, right? It was a nice, you know, soft toss pitch right to you. And you just struck out. You didn't make contact. That was the 13 seconds lost. And then strike three was the Bengals game for me, for Leslie Frazier. It was, well, what's going on here? You're supposed to go up there and, you know, connect the, you know, the, the, the bat to ball. You're supposed to get on base, you know, get us moving forward here. But we weren't moving forward. We were in the same spot we were the year before. Um, and I feel like it was that moment where Leslie Frazier had to take a step back and go back to the dugout. And the dugout was him taking a break from being defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And the next batter is Sean McDermott. And Sean McDermott wants to get his hands on the bat and see if he can make contact and move this thing forward for himself. Um, so that that's just kind of my, my stance on like the whole Leslie Frazier departure with uh, you know, Sean McDermott, whatever, taking over. Yeah, that, that's a good way of looking at it. Now, you have to leave in a few minutes, right? Yeah. Evan? Yep. Okay. I lost you for a sec there. So um, I just want to – we'll we'll finish off this conversation. We're approaching the hour mark here. Um, you know, we'll talk about this for a few minutes. If you guys want to throw some more comments at us, hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, we'll get to those, and then we'll get into the rankings. So we'll just finish off this segment, Evan, and then you can get going, and then we'll get into the rankings on the back half. So going back to the extensions here, I, I think we kind of went around the horn, but then we started to go off track a little bit. So just to you know, kind of close off this conversation again, how do you feel about – those extensions specifically for the way that I laid it out with the window being two to three years. And now they're under contract for five years. So Evan, how, how do you feel about that window and just your confidence level that these two can get us over that hump? So I was listening earlier and you mentioned that one comment. Um, I forgot who it was, but he made a very good point. I'm trying to remember the exact quote or saying that he mentioned um, I thought it was very intriguing, though, how he said it's like your best years are here or whatever. Um, this is my stance on it. I think that as of right now, with Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Von Miller under contract, your big three, your, your three heavy hitters, right? In certain, in a certain set of eyes, that you could say this is the Bills' quote unquote best years to win it these next two to three seasons, and. You wouldn't be wrong, per se, right? You wouldn't be wrong by saying that because Von Miller is a future Hall of Famer. Stefan Diggs, the way he's continuing, could potentially bolter himself into the Hall of Fame conversation. And Josh Allen has the potential to be a you know a Hall of Fame quarterback in his own right. So when you have those three things going for yourself and you got a lot of guys under contract, a lot of very good players on the contract, and you know, you've been right there, you've been almost to the Super Bowl, and you have the chance to win it. In, the, in these set of years, I don't think this is the only you know set of two or three seasons the Bills are going to be able to win. I, I'm a believer that if Josh Allen's under contract, Josh Allen's on this team, you're always you're always going to have a a chance to win it, right? Because a lot of people say the Bills best team or whatever with the 13 seconds. That team went 11 and six, 11 and five. 
that wasn't a great team. Last year's team went 13-3 and had a much more disappointing postseason than the team that went 11-6 did. I think any given season, if the Bills turn it up at the right time, no matter what the roster is, they can win a Super Bowl. And to me, I feel like the two... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People that are going to be overseeing that are Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. I believe the Bills are going to win a Super Bowl with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean as the GM and head coach of this, of this franchise. And I love the extension of this because I, I don't want the Bills to go through you know, conversations of having to fire Brandon Bean or having to fire Sean McDermott, and then you're circling around trying to find the next head coach, trying to find, you know, the next general manager of this franchise because there's not that many great coaches out there. You see a lot of recycling with franchises in, in, in sports. You see them going from coach to coach, GM to GM, and they don't have a, a clear identity or direction. With the Buffalo Bills right now, you have – an identity set at the quarterback position. You have an identity set at the GM spot. You have an identity set at the head coach position. There's no need to change any of that. Yes, have the last two seasons per se been very disappointing in the in, in the playoffs at least. Sure, they they, they have been. You know, it's, it's been been two disappointing seasons. But at the same time, it's only been two seasons, right? Josh Allen's only 26 years old. It's like we're so quick to rush, right? Like it has to be within the next two to three seasons. And I would be very glad if the Bills won within the next two to three seasons. But Michael Jordan didn't win his first ring to what, 30 years old? You're 29 years old? Like, sometimes guys in sports don't win rings right away. And it's you know not always destined to be right away. Um, the Bills are going to have a Super Bowl window of, you know, 10 to 13 to 14 years with Josh Allen at the quarterback position. And yes, you can always make the argument that these next two to three seasons may be the best from a roster standpoint, but every single season it's it's given from the first week. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, do you have to head out now, or do you want to stay on for a few more minutes? I'll leave it um, up to you. Yeah, probably gonna have to head out. I have to, you know, go up and spend a little more time with the family. But I'll, I'll try to hop on next week. Uh, with you guys. Good seeing you, man. Say that again, I lost you. I said I'm going to try to hop on next week with you guys. Got to go up and spend some time with the family uh, before everyone heads out for the night. It was good to see you. Good to see you guys. All right, well, yeah, I appreciate you for coming on and giving us your uh, perspective, and, you know, we'll chat soon. All right, and then there were three. So it looks like uh, everything's pretty. <laughs> Speaking of st- stability, it looks like my set is is stable for now. So I don't know if uh, Evan's connection was a little funky or not, but you guys got me okay, right? For the most part, yeah, I, yeah. I can understand you. 
<laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, we'll just wrap up this conversation before getting into the rankings. And I know we've been talking about it for a bit here. Um, but just to continue on with Evan's comments, what, what do you guys think about that window? And the way that I phrased it earlier in the show is that the playoff window is always always open with Josh Allen. But the Super Bowl window is open right now based on how Bean and McDermott have built this team. So do you guys see it that way as well? I mean, I think that people try to define a Super Bowl window as if it's easy to get to the Super Bowl every year. It's not. There's a reason only one team wins it a year. It's not easy to make the Super Bowl. It's not easy to make it consistently. Otherwise, you would have everyone doing it. It's, I think it's just more about the playoff window, your contention window, which will be open as long as Josh Allen's the quarterback. I mean, yes, we don't know what's going to happen beyond the next year or two. So everyone obviously wants to win it as soon as possible. And I do too. I would be more than happy to see them win it this year or next year. I don't think you can really, <laughs> I don't think we can really say that the window is closing because Josh Allen is still the quarterback of this team. Brandon Bean is still the GM. He's still going to put together competitive rosters like he's done for the past few years he'll continue to do so i just don't think that we are really in the super bowl or bust part of this and by that i mean i don't think super bowl or bust is really conducive to the sport yeah i kind of have to agree with now bryce going back to walter's comment here Okay, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying I kind of have to agree with Zach here because, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Vaughn's contract, Diggs, Poyer, Hyde, all of them, all the veterans that are aging. So, but we, what we do know is the Bills have set themselves up for future success. In fact, that they've, they have 10 draft picks next year in class that's going to be super, super deep at every position. They've drafted super well in late rounds in previous years with Benford, with uh, Dane Jackson, you know, all these different guys. So it's not like we're dependent on, you know, these few veterans that are, you know, getting up there in age that have expiring contracts, this and that. So Brennan being, it's not like we're two or three years, excuse me, the window is two or three years with Brennan being, because of how well he can draft at every round. Yeah, so going off of Walter's comment here, he says, I don't see it as a Bills window as much as I view it as McDermott's window. If we move on from McDermott after the season, what exactly would need to be rebuilt? We've seen new coaches come in and win. So let's say that they can McDermott and the majority of the team is still there. So he said after the season. So let's just say this season where the meat of the team will probably still be there because if we're going off that window, we're saying two to three years. So after the 2023 season, you fire them. You bring in an offensive-minded head coach 
I mean, do you think that this team could just keep on keeping on and, and, and rolling on the tracks here? Because you have Josh Allen, a big eraser to cover up mistakes. Do you think Allen could kind of make up for that missed continuity between him and McDermott? Like the way Walter says it, if a new coach can come in and win, could that be the case of Buffalo? Or, or do we think that we need the stability to finally get us there? Because, you know, going off of the NBA point again, look at Michael Malone with the Nuggets. Eight years there, and they finally just won the ship. Chip, ship, whatever. <laughs> um, so, I mean, is it just one of these things where we have to be patient, as hard as that may be? Or can you just have a, I don't want to say a revolving door, but you go get an offensive mind, a young offensive mind. Could that be what the Bills need to get over the hump? Zach, you want to take this one or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go. Well, I, was going, I was going to you, Bryce. Oh, my bad. I, I was going to go to you to finish your thought, Bryce. Yeah, all right. I mean, I don't think that, you know, he needs to be fired after this year because we do need some type of stability. And let's just say we do fire him. Where are we going to go to get, you know, at the very least, the same level of production that we've had with McDermott? Because we've seen teams roll through head coaches year after year or every few years that just can't seem to get it right. You know, with the Broncos last year, they had this amazing team, hired a head coach, they, and they didn't do anything. So it's not as easy as saying, oh, yeah, fire McDermott, bring in this offensive guy, and we're going to win right away. It's, I wish it was easy like that, but, you know, sometimes you need to have continuity, even if it means, you know, you're not going to win right away. Yeah, I, I'm with Bryce. You need to have Zach, continuity. What do you, think? you need to have continuity in the NFL. This isn't the NBA where – coaching really doesn't matter it's about how many talented players you have on your roster this is the nfl it's a 53 man game 21 22 men on the field you need to have continuity continuity in the coaching staff in the scheming and all that and you can't just fire a coach just because you're getting impatient as a fan like yeah what sean mcdermott is a good coach if you fire him, where what are you going to look for? You're going to look for an offensive guy. What are you going to do? Go for Eric Bieniemy, go for the Lions' offensive coordinator. Try to find the next hot shot offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, I saw Mike, Mike's comment. I mean, I don't think Ben Johnson is quite there yet for head coaching consideration. If he has another good year with Detroit, he'll definitely end up somewhere in 2024. Probably not Buffalo though. I don't see McDermott going anywhere. Because they're doing the right thing. They're keeping their good coach and that culture. Because, again, I think people have lost sight of how important team culture is, organizational culture. The Bills were a mess for decades, for 20 years, basically, before McDermott got here and established this process mentality, that growth mindset, that organizational culture. Before he got... I'll sum it up the way I summed it up in my piece when the extension was announced. Before McDermott and Bean got here, they sucked. They're very good now. And the most important thing they brought was stability and that culture. If you fire them now just because you're growing impatient 
for the Super Bowl window, that would be a huge mistake, and you're going to tear down everything that was built, even though you would still have Josh Allen, and maybe you do find a hot shot offensive court, offensive mind to take over, but it won't be the same. You will have ruined your best opportunity. And look how long it took Andy Reid to win his first Super Bowl. He was a head coach for decades, just won his first one in 2019 with the Chiefs. Exactly. He was ran out of town because of a lot of the same reasons that some Bills fans are using against McDermott now. They got close. They were contending. They just never got the right breaks. What you got to do if you want a winning organization, you want to be a contender, you got to be as good as possible for as long as possible and hope you get lucky at least once. Reed was head coach for the Eagles for 13 years, didn't win anything. Head coach for Chiefs for, you know, from 2013 to now, won two Super Bowls. So it takes time. It's not going to be this quick process. Now, let's just finish this conversation. This will kind of segue into, you know, what, what we were just talking about. When does it become too much? Like, when is enough enough? If you guys are saying you can't ruin the stability, how many years of losing, let's just say they lose three, four, five years in the divisional round. When does it get to the point for you guys to say, okay, now we need to make a change? Or are you not really going to put a number on it where you just say, let's just take it one year at a time? I think I Over wants I to go think first here. Sorry, what? Sorry, I was going to say that I think McDermott and Bean, you guys there? What, they, what they've done over the past six, seven years, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt for at least three to four more. And I know there are a bunch of fans that will not like me saying that, but again, they're the best coach and GM we've had since Marv Levy and Bill Polian. So people need to quote Aaron Rodgers. People need to R E L A X a little on this. Josh Allen's still here. Stephon Diggs is still here. They're not going anywhere. McDermott's not going anywhere. Bean's not going anywhere. You're still going to have your main core for the next few years. So I say just let them go on the field. Let them play. And again, this team is built to be as good as possible for as long as possible. And let's hope that we get lucky this year or next year. Bryce, would you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You need some continuity, even if it does mean losing for maybe two more years before you finally get to the Super Bowl. So how how many years would you put on it then? I mean, I don't know if you can really put a number on it, but if let's just say they – you know, for the next two years, they lose in the divisional round. I think then you start to have uh, discussions about it and maybe start to look away from Sean McDermott. But 
with how this team is built and the draft capital that we have in the next few years, I don't see them having the same playoff failures as they have in recent in the past three or four years. Well, Walter brings up a point here. He says three to four more years, so we want to wait until Allen is 31 when he probably is out of his prime as a dual threat. I strongly disagree. So I'm more in the middle here. We're going back to how I open up this show. I think my window is two, maybe three years. So your window is probably a little bit more generous than mine where you guys are saying three, four, maybe five. I'm probably, you know, two to three. And even then, it, it would be tough after everything that they've done. But then it's like, okay, eight years. I think, uh, yeah, Joel said it here. It doesn't take eight years. Even if they get to the AFC championship game, you're going to have to have serious conversations. If they lose next year, we're going to have to have serious conversations because that will be the talk of the off season. This is what six years now that they haven't been able to get over the hump. And 2017 doesn't really count 2019 Houston, you know, that, that really wasn't even this era for the Bills. I mean, 20, 21, 22, two, 23. Two to three years then, basically. Say it again? So you're basically, it's been two to three years right now. Because the first year doesn't count. Two to three years for what? doesn't count. Where, where you were going with this, talking about the contention window. Like you said, McDermott and Bean has been here for like, Six to seven years, but the first year that wild card birth was a fluke. The second year was they fell back down. The third year was the Houston thing, and they never really had a shot to be a serious contender then either. So it's really only been three years with this current window, as people refer to it. Yeah, so they've had. We'll say three because, you know, I'll give that 2020 season, even though when I said earlier that roster wise, we're at the halfway point where you look at the 21 roster and the 22 roster. But in terms of the window, I'll I'll put that 2020 season in there. So we're going on year four now of having that Super Bowl expectation. So that's why I'm saying after the 24 season, that'll be the fifth year of potentially not being able to get over the hump. And I think that's the point where you have to say, Okay, this is five years now. Maybe even if you want to use that Houston year, this is six years where we haven't been able to win the big game. And now this window is closing. Josh is out of his prime. All these other contracts are expired. And then you're going to have to have some serious conversations. So I think we'll, we'll end it right there. About an hour and 15 minutes into this show. And I want to save time to talk about the uh, defensive line rankings here i just want to make sure that we're not i'm not missing any comments in here um i'll continue to go through those but did you guys get a chance to read my ranking zach i know you did because you you edited it but um bryce did you happen to check out my rankings i haven't gotten a chance to yet no All right, well, I'm going to inform you and the rest of our audience if you guys haven't um, seen those yet. Let me drop the link in here when I can. I'll try to pull it up. But, Zach, while I do that, what what are your initial thoughts on those rankings? I think they were very fair. 
Like Micah Parsons deserves to be on the list. Vaughn Miller, even though he's currently injured, he is still one of the best. And he very much deserves to still be considered an elite edge rusher in the league. I mean, you saw what he did for the Bills last year when he was healthy. That was a totally different defensive line. They were dominant. It was just after he got injured, things started going downhill. Yeah, so he was my fourth best defensive end last year, but I dropped him to seven because I think it's a combination of maybe Vaughn slipping a little bit. And yeah, you could say that was because of the injury, him getting older, wasn't as dominant. I mean, he was dominant when he was healthy, but in terms of his overall production, it wasn't up to par with what we were hoping for. And I think there were other guys who were just really impressive that it would be too biased, I guess, is how I would phrase it. If I were to try to put Vaughn any higher, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think seven's a fair ranking. Bryce, so your initial thoughts, um, what, what do you think about Von Miller being at seven? Yeah, I definitely think seven is a fair number for him just because of, you know, he finished the season injured. Maybe if he played full 17 games, he probably would be top three, top four defender over maybe, you know, Hassan Reddick, Mix, Crosby, and TJ Watt, but unfortunately we couldn't see a full season out of him, so... Seven is a fair number. Yeah, so let, let's start in reverse order. We'll go 10 through 6 here. So defensive ends, 10 to 6. So I had Joey Bosa at 10, Brian Burns at 9, Matthew Judon at 8. And again, these are defensive ends and edge rushers because I know some of these guys are outside linebackers. So Judon was 8. Von Miller seven and the aforementioned Hassan Reddick at six. So what do you guys think about that list? Because if I could just sum it up real quick, Joey Bosa, he missed 12 games last year due to an injury, but I think based on his overall body of work, we know what Joey Bosa can do. I think he's still top 10 worthy, but I think he's right on the brink where I had him at six last year. I think, uh, you know, 10 is a fair spot to put him. Brian Burns, he was an honorable mention last year. I think I ranked 20, so he was like 22. He jumped all the way up to nine. He had seven sacks his rookie year, then nine, nine again in 21, and then 12 and a half in 22. So he's been, uh, you know, turning it up for Carolina. Matthew Judon has been a force with New England. He was tied for fourth in the league last year with 15 and a half sacks, and I believe he had 42 pressures. So He's been having some great success. And then I already talked about Von Miller. And then with Hassan Reddick, he continues to improve every season as well. His 16 sacks were tied with Miles Garrett for second in the league. And his 41 pressures ranked sixth. And he was drafted 13th overall by the Cardinals in 2017. So that was the third year in a row that he had at least 11 sacks with three different teams. Arizona, Carolina, and now Philadelphia. So it seems like it doesn't matter what scheme or defense you put him in. Hassan Reddick is putting up those numbers. So he jumped all the way up to six for me this year.
Yeah, I love that Hassan Reddick signing for Philly. I think it definitely, you know, bolstered and gave them a huge uh, production in Philly. Um, you know, Brian Burns, like you said, just absolutely exploded last year for Carolina. That was fantastic by them. I think he's someone on defense that you can uh, build around for a young team like like the Panthers. Zach, what do you think about those uh, those rankings, the way I ordered them? Yeah, I think it's a very fair ranking. Like, you, I don't think you could go wrong with any of them it listed there. Like, Hassan, yeah, like Donnie said there, Hassan Reddick is a stud. And he, it took him a little bit because Arizona didn't utilize him properly his first couple of years. But when they finally found his role and he finally found his role, he excelled in it, and he continues to excel in it. And that's why Philly is one of the most dangerous pass rushes in the league. So before I, I read off my uh, top five here, Zach, I know you already know them, but Bryce, off the top of your head, who would be your top five pass rushers without looking? So obviously we have some guys that I just mentioned. And then there are a bunch of other guys who are in their own tier. So before looking, I don't know, maybe you already have, but what would your top five be? Do you want them in order or just a top five? Uh, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. So you can just give me five. It doesn't really matter the order. Because then we can kind of talk um, about the order as we go. And then I will finalize it by telling you what I had. So I would probably go Garrett, uh, Nick Bosa, Parsons. I would probably put Vonnet in the top five and then TJ Watt also. You say you'd put Vaughn there? Yeah, I'd put Vaughn there over uh, Max Crosby, which I think you have. Okay, interesting. Um, Zach, what, I mean, I know you already know, so are there, is there anyone that Bryce may have left out that you think could deserve a top five, not here? I mean, I think, I think they've already been mentioned or you're going to mention them. I will, I will say the one thing I'll say is like saying that Max Crosby is very underrated. I think he's overlooked because he's on the Raiders, but he has been a really good edge rusher in his career there. I think he's definitely warranted in the top 10. But everyone else that Bryce mentioned definitely deserves to be well, there. I'll say right now that'll segue us into the rankings, the official rankings here, because I had Crosby at five and I had him there last year too. And he got better in the last year. So really you could probably make a case that he's higher than five, but based on the names and, and the attributes of the other guys, I think five is a nice spot for Max Crosby. I think so too. Would you guys agree? 
So if you are wondering about Max Crosby, he reached double-digit sacks for the second time in his career. He had 12 and a half. He led the league in tackles for loss with 22, and he was second with 47 quarterback pressures, and he had 89 total tackles. So that's something that we really don't see a lot of where guys can be dominant against the pass and the run, where it's like, okay, he's really good at sacking the quarterback, but can he rack up the tackles? And Max Crosby can do both. Yeah, Crosby's been a beast for Las Vegas. You guys agree? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's a knock for him not to be in top five, but you know, just the body of work Vaughn has given in his entire career has been phenomenal. I think it's it's probably wrong. So you would put Vaughn ahead of Crosby, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay. So after um, Max Crosby, at four, I had T.J. Watt. Now, you could probably make a case that he could be higher based on his overall body work, but he was injured last season, and when he played, he wasn't that dominant. I think he was PFF's 18th highest graded pass rusher. And, yeah, let me pull it up right here because I, I mentioned Greg Rousseau earlier. So I wrote in the article um, – in 10 games in 2022, Watt had five sacks, 39 tackles, and an 82.1 PFF grade, which was 18th highest at the position. And Rousseau was 14th with an 83.6. So pretty underwhelming for TJ Watt based on the bar that he set. So I think four is a solid spot where I think he's still top five. It's TJ Watt. He's dominant when healthy. So I don't want to knock him too much. But at the same time, he played a, a good amount of games to the point where it's like, eh, the numbers were a bit underwhelming. So do you think four is a fair spot for TJ Watt, Zach? I think that is also fair because he is still one of those guys, one of those one of those players who can wreck your game if you don't properly combat him. So four is a good spot? Yes. Did you say something? Did did I lose you? Or did you just not say anything? (laughs) I mean, I was more waiting for... Was that me? Yeah, you're cutting out for me right now, uh, Kevin. But yeah, I, okay, I was I gonna say I, I it like froze for a second, so. Yeah, I didn't hear you call my name, but yeah, I you guys I got do me agree, now? I think yeah. I do agree though. I think four is a good spot for what. Okay. Okay, so at three we had Micah Parsons. Now last year I, I put him in with the linebackers just because he was a Swiss Army knife. I didn't really know where to put him. But he's pretty much a full-time edge rusher now. So I put him at three, and I'll just read you the rest. Nick Bosa at two. He led the league with 18 and a half sacks last year. And Miles Garrett at one. He was second with 16. And he's had double-digit sacks every year but his rookie year. And I think he is another one like TJ Watt. He will wreck your game plan. So what do you think about that top three? 
I think the top three you had is is um pretty good. And I think that everyone deserves to be in the spots they are because Micah Parsons, like you said, he's the the newcomer, relatively speaking, in this group, but he has also already shown that he can wreak havoc for a decade. Like he is going to be one of the premier pass rushers for the foreseeable future. Nick Bosa is another guy who is severely like not I don't want to say severely overlooked, but I don't think people think of him as much as they think of his brother. But he's always been just as good, if not better, than Joey. And Miles Garrett, of course, was the was that consensus number one overall pick when he came out of college. And he has proven to be worth all the attention. <laughs> Even if Jadavian Clowney doesn't like that, didn't like how they were utilizing him over him. <laughs> yeah. Bryce, would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. I I think it's hard to put uh, Parsons over Bosa right now just based off the body of work that Bosa has given you over his whole career. I, um, <clears throat> but yes, I would agree. Garrett, cons- consensus number one, I think it's hard to rank anybody else over him. Yeah, I believe I had Garrett at number two last year, TJ Watt at number one. But based on what Miles Garrett has done as of late and just looking at his overall body of work and the fact that he's 27 in his prime. And someone brought it up in the chat here, and you guys text me on the side. Jim Schwartz is a defensive coordinator in Cleveland now. So tying this all in together, <laughs> Miles Garrett is going to be a human wrecking ball with Jim Schwartz this year. It's going to be like what Buffalo had with Mario Williams, Darius, all, right. all of them. <laughs> yeah, Mario Williams, Jerry Hughes. Yeah, Tyrese, Kyle Williams. All right, so switching over. Those were definitely the years. Defensive tackles now, top 10. Again, reverse order here. We'll start at 10. So, um, Initial thoughts on these before I uh, rattle some of these off. Zach, you want to start us off? For defensive tackles, well, I would say that if you're asking me to list who I think should be on the list, I would say Christian Wilkins, Jeffrey Simmons, Cam Hayward, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald definitely all need to be on the list. I don't know. The last couple are definitely not in the six to ten range; they're in the five to one range. But those are the names that come to my mind. Bryce, what about you? What what names come to mind when I say the best defensive tackles in the league are? Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Quinnen Williams, Christian Wilkins, uh, DeForest Buckner. I think you have to start off your any list you make with those those players. Well, we're on the same wavelength here (laughs) because I think you guys mentioned everyone that I had in my article, or at least 
everyone in my article was someone that you mentioned. So DJ Reader came in at number 10 for me. And then Christian Wilkins was nine. Jonathan Allen at eight. DeForest Buckner at seven. And then Jeffrey Simmons at six. So do you guys want to give some thoughts on that before I explain my reasoning for those? I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. Like, DJ Reader is someone I think a lot of us forget about. But, like, especially when he went to Cincy, he's been a crucial part of their defensive line. And he he's definitely deserving of that number 10 spot. The reason I brought up Christian Wilkins, I know you brought him up too. Obviously, we hate him as a Dolphin. But as a player, he is one of the best at his position. He is very he is a dominant player. So you gotta respect that. And with Jeffrey Simmons is also another dominant player as well. And Jonathan Allen, DeForest Buckner, both of those guys are really good as well. And I I do think that you have a pretty fair list there. Yeah, so starting with ten, DJ Reader, he really doesn't have the stats to back it up, but he's kind of like that star of the two, the layer, you know, Daquan Jones, where he clogs the middle. He's almost 350 pounds and PFF gave him a really generous grade last year of an 87.3. And he's always graded out very well against the run. So I think he's one of those guys that has to be in the top 10 box score. You look at the stats he doesn't really pop off, but if you watch him play and how critical he is to that defense and by PFF standards, I think he definitely needs to be in the top 10. Christian Wilkins comes in at nine for me. He had only three and a half sacks, but he did have 98 tackles last year. And the other thing about Christian Wilkins is that just like with DJ reader, his run defense grades are also really well. And he finished in the top four amongst players at the position last year in terms of run defense. And, you know, he's probably the number one instigator to Josh Allen. (laughs) And then in terms of seven and eight, DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Allen, these guys, I feel like they, they always have quiet seasons, especially with Jonathan Allen, but he's just like Mr. Consistent with the commanders. And, it was the fifth year in a row that he's recorded 60 or more tackles in the third year in a row that he's earned a PFF grade above an 80.0. And he had 65 tackles, seven and a half sacks and an 80.1 PFF grade last year. And then DeForest Buckner again, kind of flew under the carpet, under the rug um, just because the Colts were a mess last year, but he had 74 tackles and eight sacks and PFF grade him gave him an 82.1. So he quietly had a nice season for the uh, fumbling Colts last year. (laughs) Rico says Christian Wilkins gets busy. Also has busy fingers. Watch your backside. (laughs) That is right. Like I said, if we did a list of the number one instigators for Josh Allen, he'd be number one. He's my ninth best defensive tackle but my first best josh allen instigator yep (laughs) and then with jeffrey simmons see the thing with simmons is that he like simmons could be top five 
But he's kind of similar to Ed Oliver, where he shows flashes of dominance, and he just hasn't been able to put together like a fully dominant season. He's had about seven or eight sacks, 55 tackles, decent PFF grades, but he doesn't really pop out at you. So I left him outside of the top five. He just got rewarded with a huge contract, which which, uh, makes him the second highest paid defensive tackle. But um, how do we feel about Jeffrey Simmons being at number six? I think, I think it's, it's go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's definitely a fair number, but I think I might put Buckner over Simmons. Okay. So you would drop Simmons a little bit. Yeah. Just to number seven. It's nothing with him. I just like the body of work Buckner's head over the course of his career, both with, Indianapolis and San Fran. That is true. DeForest Buckner is is a real Zach, good what player. do you think about this? I mean, Bryce has a point that DeForest Buckner is a really good player. I I still think that I agree with you, Kevin, in that Jeffrey Sim is at six because he is a dominant player when he's on the top of his game, when he's on the field. I think he did. Has he had some injury issues or was that just when he was coming out of college where he was injured and that caused his draft stock to fall. But either way, I remember when the bills played him, you know, a couple of years ago on that QB sneak attempt, when he blew up the middle in that run, he completely blew that up. Otherwise the bills would have won that game. And, like, he's one of those most stout defensive tackles you'll find. Yeah, and maybe we shouldn't bring this up, but he was drafted 19th overall in 2019, and Ed Oliver was picked at number nine. So, you know, just just putting that out there. I, like I said, I think that his injury coming out was the reason he dropped. Yeah, yeah. All right, so before we get to the top five here, any big names here? Bryce, I'll, I'll go to you here. Any big names where you're like, oh, you have to have this guy in your top five? Um, just looking at it right now, I think it's – a pretty fair list. I wouldn't change up the top five at all. Same. Oh, were you looking at the list? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, like, assuming you weren't looking at it or anything, just five names in general that you would say, oh, you, you better have, you know, Aaron Donald and here at Chris Jones, but you guys would agree with the five players that I included in here? Yeah, for sure. Same. Okay, yeah. So, you know, if you guys haven't seen yet, if you haven't checked out the article, please do that. Um, But starting at number five, I put Cameron Hayward. Now, he's 34 years old, but he's still putting up the numbers. And I really contemplated putting him a little bit higher. But Dexter Lawrence and Quinnen Williams 
haven't hit their ceilings yet and they continue to get better and better. Their numbers are getting better and better. And I, I figured I would take that upside and give the two New Jersey guys the number three and four spot. We'll put Cameron Hayward at 34. Be, or we put him at number five because he's 34. So he's already hit a ceiling, but he's going to be that steady rock for you where he can get the job done. So that's five, four, and three. Chris Jones, number two. He had arguably his best season last year, 15 and a half sacks, a bunch of QB pressures. He always grades out really, really well with PFF. And I put Aaron Donald at one just because he's Aaron Donald. He had a down year by his standards. Um, he had 49 tackles and five sacks, and that was his lowest sack total since 2016. He did make the Pro Bowl, but he didn't make an All-Pro, and he didn't get a vote for a Defensive Player of the Year. And that was the first time in his career that he, he didn't have at least two of those three. So a bit of a down year for Aaron Donald, but it, again, it's Aaron Donald. So the gap is closing where maybe someone like a Chris Jones, Quinton Williams, Dexter Lawrence could take over that spot for number one. But I think for now, it's still Aaron Donald. Would you guys agree? Yeah. 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 Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Uh, I was just going to say right now, yeah, Aaron Donald's still the guy you think of when you think of the top defensive tackles. But I would say I think Chris Jones is the closest to overtaking him. And it could very yeah, well I think take him in a couple of years. It's Chris Jones Aaron been Donald until he a wrecking ball for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And they talked about that last year, remember? Like, Aaron Donald wasn't even going to play this year, supposedly, and then he came back. I mean, he's only 32. He could play another five years based on his build. But I'm wondering when Aaron Donald's going to be ready to call it quits. I mean, if it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's going to anytime soon i think he's still gonna push for another ring you know before he retires i mean he's still got you know some years left on his contract too so it's not like you know his contract's up soon he's gonna retire before you know before he has to go to another team now before we finish off here um i want to go to a comment from joey he says, where does Von Miller and Leonard Floyd rate among them? Now, we already said Von Miller is seventh on the list. Leonard Floyd, that's interesting because last year I had him as an honorable mention. So he was in that Brian Burns range, like 21, 22, 23, looking outside the top 20. I didn't go that far this year, but if we had to put a number on Leonard Floyd, what would we put him as? I think he would be right around that, that 20 spot, right? Yeah, I would say maybe 15 to 20 around there. He's a very good edge rusher. Would he be in the top 20? Yeah, would he be in the top 20 or or looking outside of it? I'd probably give him a top 17 uh, range. I think that's pretty fair for the production he's that he had in LA for the past three years. 
And uh, just to wrap this up, anyone that I forgot to mention where you're looking at this list saying, how could you leave so-and-so off of your defensive end list or defensive tackles? None I can really think uh, of. Not to my knowledge, no. I'm I mean, looking at your list over again right now, and I think it's pretty fair. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the defensive tackle one's fair as well. I would say maybe the one that someone might point out is Fletcher Cox, but I feel like he's at the point in his career where he's probably hovering just outside the top 10. Yeah, I had him as an honorable mention last year. That's a good point. You know, Brandon Graham is an edge rusher. He had one of his most productive seasons last year, and he's another one that's 34, 35 years old. So, I mean, there are guys, there are probably some veterans that you could look around and say, you know, not that he's top 10 anymore, but someone like a Calais Campbell, you know, where it's like, I think he deserves, or Justin Houston, honorable mention. You know, these guys are still putting up numbers. Daniil Hunter is another one. Um, Zadarius Smith, he's also in Cleveland now. So there were some guys when I was thinking about like Joey Bosa, like yeah, he's, he's got to be top 10. But I was looking at someone like a Daniil Hunter or Zadarius Smith, where they had more production than Joey Bosa last year, albeit they were more healthy. But I think those guys are right on the brink as well. That's fair. Say that again, man, my, it's been laggy tonight. I don't know why we've been good for the last few weeks, but it's been lagging. So I apologize for, for that. If we had any interference, I think we're getting thunderstorms in my area. So I don't know if that interfered with it at all, or if I got something else that I got to figure out here. I, I just but said that too. if I missed it, Zach, what, what were you saying about those? Two I, just said that. I just said that was fair. What you were saying. And I think we may be getting thunderstorms. Okay, yeah. This area, too. Maybe the heat's causing some issues. Well, I guess it'll help the grass to grow, but I got a lot of work to get done this week, so it can't rain too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, as we close things up here, Zach, what do we have on tap coming up here this week at Buffalo Fanatics? Well, I know Bryce is going to have his usual pieces. He'll be doing one of his Forgotten Bills articles and also a positional breakdown heading into the training camp next month. I know Kevin's going to have his next ranking article. I may or may not have a piece coming out this week. If not, it'll probably be next week, but... Um, Yustin will have his usual Wednesday Buffalo Bulletin topic to be determined. We will find that out when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, so I think in terms of my rankings, I think I'm going to go to the linebackers next because I want to work our way up to the big ones, you know, like the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, the running backs. So I think we're, we'll keep moving back on the defense. We did defensive line this week, obviously. We'll go back to the linebackers in two weeks because – that brings up another point. Um, we will not be with you next week as I will be celebrating my birthday and it'll be Zach's birthday on Sunday as well. Well, not as well. 
Uh, my birthday is June 28th, celebrating over the weekend. Zach's birthday is actually July 2nd, correct? Yep. Entering my Trey White year. <laughs> so, um, yeah. We'll, we'll... What's that? I didn't say anything you cut out. Oh, well. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be off next week. No article in terms of the linebackers, but look for us in two weeks coming back on the writers club, getting the rankings going. And then obviously, um, you know, all the other good content that we have coming out for you. Joey says happy birthday to us. Thank you, Joey. Again, apologize for any interference that we had tonight. Hope you guys still like the show. Drop a comment. Let us know what you thought, what you think. If you have any final comments you want to get in here before we sign off for the night, it's about 11 o'clock. Um, we'll give you about a minute or so if you want to do that. Uh, Bryce, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, one thing I did want to mention before. Um, I, I just want to say that you going back to McDermott and being discussion we had about an hour or so ago, you don't fire him or you don't, you know, extend him this year to a two-year extension just to fire him, you know, the following year. I think that's a bolster of confidence for the next, you know, few seasons. Yeah, I think that was the Pagulas putting their stamp of approval and saying, we're going to right the ship here. Yeah, definitely. So with that... Um... Thank you, Joey. Appreciate you and appreciate all you guys for watching. We had a pretty good uh, turnout tonight. Again, you can go back and watch a playback. We'll put the timestamps on it for you tonight, and then uh, you'll be able to watch it throughout the week. And then just keep it locked and loaded here on Buffalo Fanatics, and we'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks as training camp is getting going in just a few weeks away. You guys will be there. I mean, that's in your backyard, so I bet you guys will be looking forward to that, right? Yeah, I think I'm going to be going to a few practices this year. Yep. I already know we're going to have a special visitor coming during that time that Bryce and I are excited about. Are we allowed to know or we're going to leave it at that? <laughs> it's up to you. It's you a Canadian to... friend. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, once again, for Kevin Syracuse and Zach Vaughn by my side and Bryce Martino underneath in the box here, you've been watching episode 14 of the BF Writers Club on Buffalo Fanatics. Have a good rest of your night, rest of your weekend, rest of the week. We'll catch you on the flip side. Go Bills. Go Bills, baby. Go Bills.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.